And this is Unassigned Reading, where we discuss the books you're never going to talk about in English class. Right. YA, sci-fi, fantasy, and all the other genres you read for fun. Obviously, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. So many spoilers. Also, goblets and dragons and Death Eaters and the return of the Dark Lord. Because this month, we're discussing Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Our first descent into some real darkness in the Harry Potter universe. That's right. Somebody dies this time. And not a fun... Alright, with that ominous spoiler, let's dive into even more spoilers in our 60-second summary. And this time, it's your turn again. Okay, are you ready? Three, two... <laughs> nope, you're ready. Three, two, one, go. Okay. Harry and the Weasleys and Hermione go to the Quidditch World Cup. It's great, except then afterwards somebody sets off a dark mark and everybody freaks out. Then they go to Hogwarts, and at Hogwarts, this year they're doing the Triwizard championship or whatever um and uh-oh there are only supposed to be three champions but somehow harry gets picked as the fourth champion even though like there are a million reasons that shouldn't happen but it's a magical contract so we can't get out so they go to classes and stuff and then it's the first event and it's a dragon and harry like flies on his broom and he does really well and then some time goes by nothing important happens and then it's time for the second uh challenge so it's underwater and they like capture people that are like friends with people and harry has to go rescue them with the other champions and he gets their first but he waits because he's like "Uh oh they're gonna kill these people even though clearly dumbledore's not just gonna kill some kids but they like what he did so he gets lots of points and then more time passes and it's the third one okay stop no i thought i was gonna make it <laughs> i cut out so much stuff i, I think, was like i can I do you it you got a little cocky there <laughs> i was like i can do it if i only talk about the triwizard championship i can make it yeah you're you you know you had a really good strategy I was like, don't talk I about think... anything <laughs> that was my strategy I think you just were so you were so sure of your strategy that you weren't you did not. You didn't really talk quite. I said fast a little enough. too much about each thing. I should have been like, "It's underwater," you, and, and you then let, it's a and maze. You just let yourself and then get Voldemort. Down. <laughs> if I had just skipped all the details, just like <laughs> underwater, and now it's a maze, and now Voldemort's back. Like I think I could have made it. <laughs> and you could have, yeah. So obviously, the big part you missed is the entire ending, yeah. which is the third task, which you had just brought up that they were going to have to do. The big maze. Harry goes through. He and Cedric are the only two that get to the end, and they grab the cup which turns out to be a port key surprise and takes them to this graveyard where Voldemort is resurrected using Harry's blood, kills Cedric. That happens before he's resurrected, but, you know, timeline, who cares? And then they're dueling and their wands, you know, because their twins sort of connect and they have the whole Priori and Cantatum. Cantatum? How do you say that? I think it's Priori and Cantatum. Priori and Cantatum. Okay, I was close. I was and it's close. good we've, like, figured that out because I'm going to talk about it in a minute, but... All right, I'm glad I could stumble through that first for you. And then all of Voldemort's spells, like, from his wand are kind of, like, regurgitated. So everyone who's died from his most recent killing spells come out. So we've got, you know, Cedric and the muggle guy from the beginning who we didn't mention because in the scope of things in telling a 60-second summary, not that important. But Voldemort killed him. And then, you know, like, Harry's parents, people like that. And so they are able to kind of help him, and Harry gets away. And he goes back and finds out that Moody was actually like, the Death Eater that was working for him all the time. Well, not Mad-Eye Moody, <laughs> importantly. No, it was Barty Crouch Barty Jr., Crouch who Jr. was pretending to be Moody. And he tries to kill Harry, and then Dumbledore and everybody rescues him, and things are kind of okay, except for the fact that Cedric's dead, and Harry's been through a terrible trauma, and Voldemort's back. So. And, like, 
Not really that. Brief spoiler okay. for the next po- book. Nobody's going to deal with Harry's trauma. So we've got that to no. look forward to. But we'll get there no. later. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to start out by not talking about really the contents of the book, but the book itself. Because this book is the halfway point in the series. And this is book four out of seven yeah. book series. So we're halfway through. And I see it as a shift in a lot of ways in the series. Definitely. First, just in terms of size, book four is considerably longer than book three. Yeah, I think it's like twice as long right. as book three. It's, it's more... Maybe even more than it's that. It's more like the length of the last four. Like, the, all the last four books are very long. The first three are... While they're a bit long for children's lit, they're not... Especially now that we're used to, like, longer books in children's lit in YA, they're not that long. Maybe a yeah. bit longer than... Definitely longer than was normal at the time, but not what book four, five, six, and seven are. So it's much longer. And so there's a... I guess, like, the word I'm going to use is, like a shift in tone because I see book four is the transition book between the first three which are clearly children's literature very much in that genre and books five six seven to me are definitely young adult literature yeah I would agree and book four is the transition yeah it it really it toes the line between children's lit and young adult yes definitely has elements of both so we see sort of that shift happen and in terms of like plot itself to me the first three books they're almost standalone adventures. There's underlying stuff going on, and the later books will tie it all together where it did have to do with the ongoing story. But Harry, you know, does a thing, and at the end of the book, it's over, and it's not really going to have an effect on the next year, right? Like, yeah, I would, I would say that's true to an extent. Chamber of Secrets yeah, is that's, dealt that's with. true to an extent. You, you still, I would say, you're still dealing with the ongoing plot lines, and you see later on that they are very yeah, much setting up but, important future plot lines, but you are right that. They're kind of standalone in the sense that they're resolved at the end of the year and don't necessarily continue on into there the next book. There are cliffhangers in the first book, really. Or the first three books. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And book four, five, six, and seven are all sort of one plot leading into another. They end on cliffhangers, and one sort of leads directly into the next, more so than I think yeah. books one, two, and three. And we also, we also sort of begin our tradition of a death ending each of the books now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Again, getting darker. Get it, definitely getting darker here. So yeah, to me, this is a turning point in the series. And I think this is a very important book in the series because it sets up so much of what's coming in the near future. Because like bits of the first three books are set up. But I think this is the book where it's like, okay, there's a lot that hasn't been set up yet. And it's got to be set up now for the rest to happen. So I see a lot of setup happening in this book for the rest of the series. More of the world is being flushed out so that we can have books five, six, and seven. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're really getting at here is we really see the groundwork being laid in this book for basically Voldemort's return to power, which is going to be the driving yeah. force behind the next several books. Because like, in the first three books, it seems very much like Death Eaters aren't really around anymore. And in this book, you know... They're, like, doing stuff to muggles. Not as bad as it's going to get, but we're just seeing that the Death Eaters seem more active now than they have been. Obviously, Lucius Malfoy's been up to no good the whole time, but it sort of seemed before like he was just a jerk doing it on his own. And now we're seeing, no, this 
structure has continued. Yeah, and I think part of that is, you know, Harry continuing to see more of the wider wizarding world and learning more yeah, about it. He's, yeah, he's becoming more aware of the world, because I do and, think... And sort of all of the characters growing up and beginning to realize that things aren't all sunshine and rainbows. Not that they have been sunshine and rainbows for the trio in particular, but... It's becoming more clear. Still, still getting older and seeing more of the world at large and the problems that have persisted in it. Yeah, so... Yeah, so that's, like, to me, that's what this book is within the series, is it's it's Im- so important. It's such an important book, and I think a lot of times it gets a little overlooked. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, you know, I think what it is is it's sort of the bridge between the first trio of books and the final trio yes. of books. And it doesn't quite fit into either in tone. Yeah. So it kind of, it, it's its own thing. But it, it's a really, I really enjoyed reading it. I had forgotten so much of book four. Yeah, it's a great one. It's, it's good. I will say, like, of sort of the ones we've read so far, I had forgotten how good book three was. But it's... But yeah. It's, I've kind of felt that way about each one so far. I'm like, wow, this is really yeah. good, and I'd forgotten so I many think, details. I think, I think four is my favorite one so far. Although I feel like that's going to be sort of continuing, at least for a little where I'm like, no, this is my... Yeah. No, this is my favorite. <laughs> um, That'll stop after the next book, though, because it really is yeah. my favorite. So, sort of... Speaking of this book, I want to ask you a question, because I know you're reading the set that we got when they first came out, when we were kids. Yes, they are literally falling apart at the bindings. So, when I left home, I bought my own set. They have the same artwork. They look like the original set, but they're not quite I know exactly what you're going to ask me, because I thought about it when I read it. we mentioned the Priori Incantatum earlier. I want to ask you... Who came out of the wand first in your edition? Harry's dad or Harry's mom? Harry's dad. Okay, they corrected it. I had no oh my idea. Gosh, that was I wondered that when I read it and I was reading it and I thought, gee, this would be so hard to correct because it's clear that part of the reason I think J.K. Rowling forgot that when she was writing it is that she really wanted to make the return of Harry's mom very important. Yeah. Like, that's just a very heavy-weighted moment because Harry's dad comes out first and he's like, oh, your mom is coming. And then when his mom comes out, it's like, you can just tell it's this this moment for Harry. He's seeing his mom again for the first time and it's very meaningful. Yeah. And I was reading it and I was like, man, how do they shift that and give it the same weight that it has in this they order? They do not do it. <laughs> um, it they don't so do it I well. I need to compare your version, but I think... They've just switched the gender words and then father for mother. Oh. But it, it, yeah, so I think if you're reading it for the first time, so like I maybe guess, you So I guess his dad is just given the, the weight. Yeah, the, da- the father's given the weight, which does make some sense because in book three, which he did have moments sense, like yeah. with his father and his mother, but there was a big focus on his father in book three, so I kind of get it. Why yeah. it makes sense tonally. But really, they often emphasize in the series... His mother died. The sacrifice that him, Harry's yeah. mom made in particular and the way that that... I mean, the death of both of his parents obviously affected Harry, but the way that his mother sacrificed himself and particularly learning the way that she did that in book three. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm sad that they... I kind of read it and thought, hmm, I don't know how they would fix that. Yeah, they did. And it I sounds like really they didn't really. I was surprised that they changed it. Because I knew it was like the one big mistake in the series that everyone talks about. Because it was like a big yeah. thing when that book came out. Everyone talked about this mistake. So yeah. when I got to that part, 
I was shocked because I mentioned I had my own editions of the series. I've never actually read mine. I've only ever read um, the ones I had when I'm a kid. The originals, so, yeah. So, like, mine, my books all, well, they're slowly not looking like new as I'm reading them, but they still looked like new when I started. I hadn't read them yet. And I should have realized that this is a newer edition, even though they look the same. So changes would have been made, yeah. but yeah, it And I think, me. other than some of the language changes we talked about in the first book, I think that's the only big correction that was made to any of the books right. later I, on. If I don't recall any other big mistakes within the timeline, you know, and where there's a no. conflict. And things not not really obvious ones, you know. Yeah. Like, there are others that you could say are plot holes. Like, we talked about time travel in the last right. episode. But in terms of just blatantly not happening as it should happen according to the laws of the universe, I think this is one of the yeah. only ones. And I'm glad you brought up time travel because I kind of want to talk about magical items now. Um, Please do. So this, I think, is the book where we realize that time travel is a problem to have introduced to the Harry Potter series. Because I remember after this book came out, everyone's question was, why don't they use a time turner? Why don't they save Cedric? This this is such an easy, it's only been a few hours. From what we learned in book three, they should be able to fix this with a time turner. Yeah. And they don't. And I think we do, there are explanations for it. Like they don't have a time turner. They're very regulated items. And by the time they could have gotten one, it would have been too late. And we also talked about how we think time travel works in the Harry Potter world anyway. Yeah. It couldn't have happened. But I think this is the moment where it becomes a plot hole. Yeah. But I also want to talk about portkeys because this is the first yeah, time. Yeah, portkeys play a really important role in this They book. do. And it's the first time we're introduced. And to apparating, them. really. Like, we've seen it before, yeah. but this we've is. Got, we've gotten several new ways of magical travel that yeah. we haven't seen before. Before we really talked about like broomsticks and flu powder were the primary right. sort of methods of travel. And now we're learning about apparition, which we've seen before, but hadn't really been discussed. Uh, we learned about portkeys and just these other sorts of magical transportation and of course port keys are so important and i feel like they were really well worked into the early part of the book it makes perfect yeah, sense that that's how they get people to this magical quidditch world cup and then you forget about right them because they're really introduced as this sort of throwaway item and then it kind of never occurs to us that it's that it's then going to come back to play this really major role at the end of the book but like it should because the other thing is is how many times in this book does Hermione tell everyone that you can't so apparate? So many times. It's kind Hogwarts. of ridiculous. Right. She says it over and over. Because they're like, oh, maybe he apparated. Hermione's like, no, you can't apparate onto or off of Hogwarts grounds. No like, apparating. have you never read Hogwarts A History, guys? <laughs> so it comes up over and over. And it, as you're reading it, you don't notice. But, like, in retrospect, it's a clue. Like, you can't apparate. But she never says anything about port keys. Yeah. And I also think we just, like, it gives everyone a sense of false security. Oh, Hogwarts is safe. You can't apparate here or disapparate here. So nothing bad could happen here. No one can get Harry here. He's under the watchful eye of Dumbledore. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. You know, this is maybe the first time we see Dumbledore make a mistake. Yeah. Up to now, I think we've really had this sense of kind of his infallibility. You know that he knows everything. He'll figure everything out. And that Hogwarts is this supremely safe place where nothing bad, nothing really bad could ever happen to you. Right. Like, you know, some scary stuff's happened, but nobody died except Quirrell and he deserved it. So we don't don't worry about him. We don't worry about Quirrell. Okay, wait, Sarah, I need to stop you right there because we need to take a moment to talk about another amazing book podcast 
Oh No Lit class. I love that one. I know, me too. Every other week, they take one of your favorite or not so favorite classics. Pretty much your high school required reading list. But they make it fun. True. And if you like our show, I have a feeling you're really going to love Oh No Lit class. But you know what? I bet they can do a better job explaining it than we can. (laughs) I bet you're right. Cue the clip. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And we host Oh No Lit Class, a comedy literature podcast that tells you all the strange and sexy facts you never knew about the books you had to read in school. Every episode is a fun, foul-mouthed spark notes for your ears, filled with author bios, plot summaries, bad impressions, and Megan singing. It's mostly you that sings. No, I sing well, she sings poorly. That's not true. So come listen to us ruin classic literature one book at a time at onolitclass.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh no, lit class. We're for kids. No, we're not. All right, back to our regularly scheduled programming and the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah, so everything up until this point feels very safe, and Dumbledore's got it under control, and everything's going to be fine. And and I kind of, I don't want to talk about this because we're really going to talk about this in book seven, but I do think one of the themes of the book that you don't notice until book seven is sort of the problems with idolizing someone. Definitely. And then sort of idolizing someone, and I think this is a very common adolescent experience, but sort of realizing like that gut-wrenching sense that, oh, this person that I thought was perfect They're not is perfect. actually human. They're human too, yeah. And I think I think that's kind of a universal teen experience of yeah. someone they idolizing, realizing that that person and has failed. Harry definitely hasn't realized it yet. Um, yeah. But as I think the reader, we're like, oh, Dumbledore made a mistake here. Yeah. And I don't think Harry sees him as less than perfect right now. Like, to Harry, no. he's still perfect and all-powerful. He's tougher than Voldemort. Everyone fears Dumbledore. But... Yeah, Voldemort fears Dumbledore. Yeah. But we, so think... we talked a little bit earlier about this being a transitional book. And yeah. I think this is, again, one of the ways in which we see that. Because we really start to see that Dumbledore and Hogwarts aren't perfect that things can go wrong here and you know again because this whole thing with moody that nobody realized that dumbledore didn't recognize that the man he thought was mad eye moody was actually Mm -hmm. an imposter everything we know about dumbledore up to now makes us think that if anything was wrong he would know about we almost feel you know that he's a better fortune teller than trelawney you know that he really does know the future yeah. That he's sort of he, omniscient. He knows what's going on, you know? Like, there's a reference to him, like, telling Harry not to send an owl. And Harry's like, how does he know I was going to send an owl to Sirius, you know? Yeah. There's this very strong undercurrent of Dumbledore knowing everything. Yeah. And speaking of, like, Moody and people not catching him, I think it says a lot about Barty Crouch Jr. that Snape also didn't notice. Yeah. Because as we're going to learn in a later book, Snape maybe should have caught it too. Like if anyone, yeah, I don't say should have, but if anyone was going to catch it, it would have been Dumbledore or Snape. They're the two that. Which also, that speaks to just how much work Barty Crouch Jr. and also you know with the backing of Voldemort, how much work has been put into this plot, into convincing everyone that he really is Mad Eye Moody, and done so quickly. Like there's not a lot of time between no between the World Cup and when the Triwizard Tournament starts. That's how much time they had, and really less than that because it's when the start of term at Hogwarts began. Yeah. Now it does seem like he definitely already met up with Voldemort by the time he goes to the World Cup. I think. 
it, it's a little unclear exactly where that happens. Like they definitely no, had it happened. Taken... It happened after because Voldemort learns that his quote unquote most faithful servant is still out there when the dark mark is put up into the sky. Mm. That's during the Triwizard Tournament. Then he goes to see them afterward, which is when he. Uh, you know, see, I thought it was Barty Crouch Sr. He, I think he figures out that Barty Crouch Jr. is alive when he questions Bertha. Yes, but I, I still don't think they... It's a little I don't think unclear. he knows exactly what's going on, and I don't think he goes there until after. It's a little unclear exactly when the World Cup. they connect back. I, it definitely seems... It's probably after the... Like, in between the World Cup and the term starting. Um, just because Winky's gone then, and Winky didn't know about all of this. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's they did it pretty quickly, which is the other thing. Like, it just says a lot about Barty Crouch Jr., like, even though he was very young when this all started, and he's been basically under the Imperius curse for a large chunk of his life now. Like, what, 14 years, basically, yeah. he's been under the Imperius curse. Yeah. Or let's say 13, maybe he was in Azkaban for a year. But he's very good at fooling people. Yeah. Magically, which is not an easy thing to do in this world. Particularly not to Dumbledore. Yes. So one thing, I'm sort of jumping backwards here, but we were talking again about this being a transitional book, and it reminded me of something I meant to mention earlier. I had forgotten that a lot of the quotes Harry Potter fans love come from this book. Yeah, they really do. Like, this is the book where Sirius makes the sort of statement about you get the measure of man by how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. Right. Dumbledore gives his great speech at the end about remember Cedric and the importance of doing right over what is easy. Mm -hmm. And both of those are quotes that Harry Potter fans have really, really latched onto. And they both are in this book. Yeah, those are some of the more iconic ones. Yeah. But I also noticed, and this is sort of a weird one, some of the stuff Malfoy says is very reminiscent of his characterization in a very Potter musical. <laughs> this is okay. the book where he talks about um, how his father wanted to send him to Durmstrang. Oh my gosh. It's pig farts. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and you know, he makes a lot of mean comments about Harry, and you can almost hear them in Lauren Lopez's voice. Oh my voice. gosh, yes. Star Kid Potter. Moon Shoes Potter. Basically. Um, it it, it <laughs> gets close at some point. on the ground. Yeah. So that was just sort of something I'd forgotten about this book. I love that. Yeah. I totally did not make that connection. That's great. Yeah. Just something good characterization stuff. And then we've got the characterization of Hufflepuff. Yes. Oh really my gosh. Really put in the we spotlight have, here. We have these really great characterizations of the epitome of Hufflepuff and also Gryffindor in Harry and Cedric, or Cedric and Harry, as the two Hogwarts house champions. And of course, Harry isn't really one of the Hogwarts champions, if we want to be specific, because we don't he, he really is, know though. what school he's from. Yeah. Well, he's from Hogwarts, but we don't know what school Moody made up to, like, get him selected as a champion. Mad-Eyes, Moody's magical school uh, mystery. Mysteries. <laughs> That's it. Try to say that 12 times fast. I will pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. But yeah, we have these two really great characterizations of what it means to be Hufflepuff and Gryffindor in these books. And I think particularly we see that in the final scene of the maze. Yeah. Um, right when, you know, we've sort of seen them helping each other and assisting each other up to this point. But in that final scene, when they're the last two champions left, they don't really know that for sure yet, but they are. And they both see the cup. They're running toward it. 
and Harry notices that this giant spider is about to attack Cedric and he calls out and then the spider attacks Harry and Cedric saves Harry but Harry's badly injured and Harry's basically this very Gryffindor like look you've won you've earned it you know very chivalrous like look you saved me I'm in no shape to actually win and to beat you fair and square therefore you're the champion go take the dang cup Cedric come on just do it and Cedric's very much the Hufflepuff fair play kind of guy where he's like no look we've helped each other and this isn't fair you're injured now so it's not a good test between us it's not a fair competition so I'm not gonna take it and Harry's like look this is ridiculous we'll take it together yeah, I'm um, just like and just fighting really over who's gonna win. Scene. Yeah, because when would you ever see that between two heroes? You know, yeah. them them basically being like, "No, you take it." You know, it's almost that. No, you hang up. No, yeah. you hang up. It's, it's like, no, we'll hang up together. It's very unfortunate, sort of, that it gets overshadowed by what happens in by what happens after. next. And it really, yeah. it almost, it makes it even sadder because you really do see how good of a guy Cedric is. This is and how much Cedric's, he deserves to be Hogwarts champion. Best moment. Like, we've had a few moments with him, but this is maybe the moment where we see Cedric the best. Right, because we don't... Because we're reading this from Harry's perspective, and Harry kind of hates Cedric because he's dating Cho, who Harry is kind of in love with, or at least starting to be... (laughs) definitely low-key 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 in love with show so we don't necessarily get to see as much of who cedric is as a person but this is you know one of the best times when we really see who cedric is and so then to see him die you know immediately afterward i think it makes it even more heartbreaking and especially because we hardly ever see hufflepuff lifted up like that yeah and to really see them get to be center stage and and in this scene and in cedric i think we get to see why they deserve that yeah I I agree. So we cannot talk about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire without talking about Spew. Yeah. But I think you may have made a mistake there, Sarah, because it's not Spew. It's actually S-P-E-W. Oh, I'm sorry. My mistake. I mean, Hermione would not forgive me if I didn't correct you. I I see that. Yeah. (laughs) She is like, I mean, she's pretty particular. Pretty particular is definitely a good way to describe Hermione. But yeah, this is the book where Hermione really like learns how magical creatures are treated in the world yeah. of Harry Potter. And we see her, you know, kind of starting to get into some activism for the first time, a little more political, which we see her continue and even expand on over the next few books. Yeah, because she sort of, you know, this is all Hermione knows about house elves up to this point is what Harry's told her about Dobby. Dobby, yeah. And this is Hermione's first time actually meeting a house elf in person, and it's it's jarring. Yeah, and like for I think it's kind of jarring for all of us. Yeah, to see like, how openly and prevalently wizards are mistreating house elves. Yeah, because with Dobby, like we know he's treated bad, but he, you know, the Mal, but he's, he's Malfoy's he's the house Malfoy's. elf. So of course yeah. he's treated poorly, but now the Malfoys we've got are the villains. Barty but Crouch, now we've got this who's high Percy's level boss. ministry official. So yeah. there's like an association with Percy there, and maybe he's not as cool in some way. But like he literally made her go up there, and she's scared of heights. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bad. And I think you know we really do in this book. We start to see a lot more of the inequality between you know the human wizards and then anyone they view as less than but not just talking about muggle you know we've seen a lot with muggles and muggleborns but talking more about like the non-human magical beings yeah or the part human magical beings yes in this book you know we saw a little bit of that in the last book with remus being a werewolf and we discussed that somewhat but in this one we get hagrid and we find out for the first time something we've never known as readers which is that he's a half giant and as soon as this comes out, a lot of people kind of turn on him. You know, they're like, 
giants are these terrible, violent I mean, creatures. Even so Hagrid Ron must be has terrible a moment. Too. Like yeah. he doesn't turn on. Well, Hagrid, he, he doesn't turn on. Like, he, oh. does, he doesn't turn on Hagrid, but he's like, oh, I see why Hagrid never told anybody that. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I just assumed it was one of these other things. It's like a less big deal. Yeah. But... And then, of course, Hermione, yeah. bless her, bless her sweet soul, is like, oh, obviously, I knew that all along, but who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Like, it was obvious, guys. It's the same like, deal with Remus when she you can't operate at Hogwarts werewolf. and Hagrid's a giant. Come on. Hermione knows what's up. We also sort of see the way Hagrid's is treated, I think, and we can see how Fleur's treated, too, because Fleur yeah. is part Vila, yeah. um, who we sort of are introduced to at the beginning of the story. These, like, very beautiful, magical creatures who yeah. also seem to maybe be a little violent, um, but yeah. they trick kind you, of, like, with their beauty. Yeah, and kind of enchant people yeah, they're into almost being like, attracted um, to them, I guess. Almost, almost like, like being siren-like. Siren yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, and we sort of see these two different characterizations of, I guess, of bigotry and the way people are treating these different part human beings. And with Hagrid and Madame Maxine, who people find out are part giant, you know, they really turn on them, blaming them and saying that they're violent and they shouldn't be trusted. And with Fleur, it's more that they a think lot of, less of her. They think less of her. Yeah, they sort of they they think Dismiss because her. she's so beautiful and because she's clearly enchanting anyone with her looks. Uh, which it seems to some extent she has no control over, by the way, yeah. that, you know, kind of, it's her fault, you know, like, whatever happens, it's like, whatever, it's just Fleur, you know, yeah, like, she like, doesn't really deserve any of the things she gets, which really isn't fair, because she earns being the Bobaton champion all on her own. She's clearly a very qualified witch, yeah. and we sort of dismiss her as being this vain and vapid character when she doesn't necessarily seem to deserve that. Yes, definitely. And and I would say that's kind of driven narratively. And we'll definitely get more of Fleur later. And we're going to get more with Hagrid and Madame Maxine and the whole half-giant thing, too. But, yeah, it's eye-opening. And then we also see some stuff with the actual magical creatures and how they aren't allowed to have wands. That comes up a couple of times in this book. Yeah. First, when Winky is found with Harry's wand, which is, like, a very big deal that she touched a wand. That is not okay very very against the wall because magical creatures aren't allowed to have wands and like you have to wonder why because wands allow you to control your magic so they're not allowed to have them because like if they couldn't use them there wouldn't be this rule so clearly they can use them the sentient magical creatures yeah it's kind of the sense that they don't want them to have that power yeah you know anything that threatens a wizard's power is yeah. a negative. And I think you see it a little with the Mer people too, because they're talking to Harry and like, no, we can't help you. No, you can't take more than one person. Like, you just have to take yours. And then he points his wand at them and they sort of back off. And I don't know, it's just like on the footsteps of the thing with Winky and like knowing that magical creatures aren't allowed to have wands, you have to sort of wonder about that moment. Because Harry's not thinking about it, right? Like, yeah. Harry's a wizard. He has his wand. He's got to save these people. We're starting to see that here. The yeah, treatment. and it's definitely, it's going to become an increasing issue over the rest of the series as Voldemort right. rises to power again. Because an issue is, so magical creatures are definitely seen as less than in this world. Wizards are at the top and, like, all magical creatures are below them. But the problem is that Voldemort and his followers also think that muggle-born wizards are less than and deserve the same treatment as magical creatures. Yeah. So that's not good. It's not good. I also wanted to briefly, before we wrap up, talk about the ending, because I think this book has a really great and interesting ending. And I'm not talking about the whole sort of denouement of the book 
after Harry is returned from Voldemort's Rise to Power. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about the whole section of that. I'm talking about the very end, like the last few pages on the Hogwarts Express and then as Harry's going home. Because I think it's really interesting and I, I really like the way that she wraps this book up because we've talked a little bit in this episode about how we really are seeing a shift in this book, a turn to much darker times. We see the first really kind of significant and personal death in the series mm-hmm. and one of the worst traumatic events to happen to Harry so far at least in his memory. And then at the end, I think it would be really easy to sort of sink into that. But instead, it focuses on a sense of hope and friendship and even humor. And I think that's really nice, especially since we are just starting to get that shift from children's literature Mm -hmm. to young adult to sort of touch back on that. Because we just have this really nice moment where Harry has all these winnings from the Triwizard Tournament that he really doesn't want. And as he even says several times, he doesn't need. We see him trying to give it to the Weasleys because he's really long wanted to give the Weasleys pretty much all of his money. And we see him trying to give it to Cedric's parents and nobody will take it. And so then in the very last few pages, he shoves it off on Fred and George, both of whom are like, are you crazy? What are you doing? This is so much money. Harry, you're insane. And he's like, you're probably right. But if you don't take it, I'm going to throw it away. And then what he says is, we could all do with a few laughs. I've got a feeling we're going to need them more than usual before long. And I think that's so great because it's really, I mean, it's it's dark because, you know, obviously we're going to need laughs because things are about to get really bad. But I still like the idea that they're focusing on it's still important to find the joy and humor in life. Yeah. Which is, I think, something we're going to sort of see continuing with Fred and George. And then I also wanted to talk about the very last line of the book, because I think it's great, too. The last line is, as Hagrid had said, what would come would come, and he would have to meet it when it did. And again, it's kind of this sense of things have clearly gotten darker, and we're going to have to deal with the fallout of that. But you know what? It's going to yeah. be it's going to be OK. We're going to deal with it because we have to deal with it. Yeah. We'll meet it when it comes. Yeah. It, it's sort of similar to like a lot of quotes you hear about, you know, like, don't go borrowing trouble you know sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof that kind yeah, of we'll thing. cross that like, bridge when we get to it yeah yeah yeah, yeah i just thought that was a, a nice and... way to wrap up the book it is and it's again part of that tone shift because the other books haven't ended that way they've ended um i mean harry's always sad at the end because it ends with him going back to the dursleys so the endings are never very good for harry a bunch of good stuff has happened and then he has to get off the train and go back to this not so great life that he lives when he's not at hogwarts but i do think you know in the past books it's like you know in the last book he like threatens him with um serious serious so like that's a pretty different ending to well bad stuff's coming and i will face it it definitely a different tone we we really we've shifted from like fairly happy endings to a more ominous but hopeful ending yeah and i think even within the book we see that shift because it starts off with the quidditch world cup so it starts off light and throughout the book even we see this transition to something a bit darker and i think with that we should discuss our harry potter angst and sass ratings okay so much a lot of angst and sass in this book yeah so much sass a lot more angst okay on the sass i'm gonna give it a solid six this time that's where i'm at because i think we're really we're seeing a good bit of sass in this book it's very well balanced out by a whole lot of darkness but we've got we've got some good lines from harry he's got some good moments particularly when he's fighting with ron i think because there is kind of a sense of how shall i put this kind of that harry doesn't have any craps to give in this book you know yes like (laughs) things are going poorly and he's kind of got that 
nihilistic whatever everything sucks i'm probably gonna die in this tournament and so he's got some great moments where at one point ron when he thinks that harry put his name in the cup is like i'm not stupid and harry goes you're doing a really good impression of it (laughs) which is great yeah i i give this one a seven yeah he's he's figured it out like he's he's got got a little he's got some room to grow but like yeah he's there he's 14 he's feeling it you know he's he's full on into the teen sass now at one point he's talking to rita skeeter and she asked for a word and uh he says yeah you can have a word says harry savagely goodbye (laughs) i mean savagely savagely it's right there in the text so okay so what about angst yeah so for the angst i'm gonna give it a seven okay because like you said Harry's outlook becomes quite dark in this one. Yeah, um, it's pretty bleak. He thinks he's gonna die, and then of course Cedric dies. So, like at the very end is very dark, and Voldemort um, is literally back and has like yeah. tortured him. So I'm not going higher than that. Just if I, mean, I hadn't read the series, I might give it higher. But I know if what's I hadn't read the coming. series, I'd probably give this a ten. But I know what's what coming, book five and I, book six are, so yeah, I have knowing, to leave myself and, a little room seven. to grow. Knowing what's coming, I'm with you. I gave it a 7.5 because yeah. we are full on in angst now, but, you know, if I give this a 10, then I'm going to have to give book five and six, like, 17. 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've got to give it a little room to grow. Okay. Now, I'll, let's see what you think about this. I feel that there's another rating we need to add. Okay. And I noticed it for the first time in this book and realized that, really, we probably should have been doing this from the beginning. But I think we need to introduce the Hermione Savagery Meter. Yes, I think that is accurate. Yeah, because because just stay with me here for a second. I mean, think back to book three when she straight up slaps Malfoy across the face. It's a good moment. We've, we've been seeing this coming on for a while, but I feel like in this book we can no longer deny that we must rate Hermione on her savagery levels. Because you mentioned Harry having no craps. Like, Hermione's been out of those for a bit. She got rid of those in book one. She's, like, over it. I'm not sure she's ever had any. We think she's she's playing by, like, the wizarding rules. No, Hermione is playing by her own rules that she has made up. Yeah. I mean, she literally, in this book, guys, she literally kidnaps a woman and blackmails her into quitting her career. She doesn't just I mean, her. I'm not, she I'm kidnaps not her she's... in a glass jar. And keeps in, in a glass jar that is made indestructible so that she would die if she tried to untransform. And I'm also trying to recall this, but she definitely is talking about the treatment of Hagrid and Madame Maxine as bigotry. I kind of think she straight up says it to Fudge. Like, that he's like being bigoted oh yeah i think she does <laughs> so oh she's, like, she's just like to the care. minister like, of magic when and when she's first starting to go after rita skeeter which boy you just do not want to get on hermione's bad side is one of the things you realize in this book but she's like silly little girl am i oh i'll get her back for this first harry <laughs> then hagrid and then next thing you know rita skeeter's in a glass bottle yeah okay so what are you gonna give hermione tin <laughs> Okay, no, no, maybe maybe we'll give her a nine. Yeah, I was going to go eight. I'll give her a little room to grow. There's room not, to grow. not more than a 9.5 because there is always room for improvement. And, and Hermione you, is you, going you to. You totally missed my A Very Potter musical reference. I'm sorry. Sarah. I'm sorry. We were talking about it in this episode. It's, it's been like, I don't know, five minutes. 
I mean, okay. Um, well, I think with that, we can say we have just barely scratched the surface of the Goblet of Fire, and we could probably continue on for another few hours. We could what? definitely continue on for a couple more hours. I have plenty of other things I could talk about. Yeah, but we probably have to end it somewhere. So a big thanks to Sahara Sky for the use of our theme song, Never Long Time Goes By, from the album Escapism. And thanks for listening. You can get in touch with us by tweeting at unassignedpod on Twitter or emailing us at unassignedreadingpod at gmail.com. We love to hear your thoughts and questions. And if you're enjoying the show so far, please go leave us a positive review on iTunes or wherever else you can review podcasts. Yeah, it makes a really big difference, actually, and we do read all the reviews you guys leave, and we really, really appreciate them. We will be back on Friday, August 10th for another episode of Book Talk. And our discussion of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix will be out on the last Friday of the month, August 31st. In the meantime, we leave you with these words of wisdom. Constant vigilance. Constant vigilance.